Well, this morning, um, super excited uh, for um, to receive a message from uh, Joe Pellegrino. Uh, Joe is the founder and president of Legacy Minded Men, an international men's ministry that seeks to help men live into their Christ-centered identity and calling and to leave a, a Christ-guided legacy. Uh, so very grateful for he and his wife, Beth Ann, uh, who have been a part of uh, Grace Spring and the family here for the last couple of years. And uh, so thankful for you being willing to share a message this morning. So just invite Joe to come up and share with us this morning. Thank you. Don't clap yet. <laughs> I hope you don't mind me being down here, but being an Italian from New Jersey, it's actually in my insurance policy that I'm not allowed to be in small areas <laughs> because I tend to move a lot. And they gave me a headset. Now, this is, I rarely use a headset when I speak. I usually have a lapel because my hands are always going. So if I hit the microphone, please forgive me. <laughs> if you've uh, been driving for more than a year or so, there is something that you most likely are very familiar with. And that is an image that comes in front of you as you're driving. An image like this. <laughs> now, in New Jersey, that's like an invitation to drive off the road and try to hit them. <laughs> but here in Florida, you people are so nice. You stop. You see, the challenge with this little guy is he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know to go to the left or to the right. He's indecisive. And that leads to No. This is a flat squirrel. <laughs> Everything's been squeezed out of him. And you know something? It's a sad image. But I would put to you that it's even more sad when you think about the tragedy that this represents. And that tragedy is indecisiveness. It's all understanding that this squirrel had an opportunity, but because he made a bad decision or he made no decision at all and just stopped there, he is now flat. And there's nothing else that's going to come from him. Some are wise and they dart off to the left. That's the left, right? Yeah. L. Yeah. And or to the right. And we have the ability as individuals to also fall into this scheme this challenge, where we have to make solid choices and solid, solid decisions. So today I want to talk to you about decisions that define us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are all-powerful, all-loving. You're everything. And I pray right now that the words of your servant will speak the words that you put in me. Push them out, Father. Push them out. More of you and far less of me. For it's in your powerful name I pray. Amen. 
Every day we witness new heights in poor decision-making. We see it all over the news. We see it happening everywhere in our workplace, in our homes, in our government, in society as a whole. And the challenge is that these decisions are moving us farther and farther from the truth, farther and farther from the Lord. And when we move farther and farther from the Lord, we start to really make bad decisions, bad choices. For the last several weeks, this church has been going through Ephesians, which describes God's eternal purposes to rescue humanity from the clutches of sin and death through Jesus Christ. Sin and death that was entered into the world by one, the identity thief, Satan. He's real. But he doesn't have that power over you. You see, the identity thief's sole purpose is to deceive you into believing you are something you are not. The belief system that that breeds is poor decision-making. We need to recognize that this, this, these decisions that we make on a daily basis will change the way the world is if we do it properly. And if we do it wrong, it'll keep the world the way it is. This is very personal for me. You see, for the first 33 years of my life, I was the king of bad decisions. I was the king of bad decisions. And the identity thief was speaking to me on a daily basis, telling me, you're not good enough. Who could ever love you? How could you actually do that? You know, those are, those are not fun things to remember. And yes, you probably figured now I'm a little older than 33, which is probably a good thing. Um, I was living through an identity crisis, and you know what I learned? I learned this. I played the victim really well. I played the victim really well. Never really thought about it until I was doing this message, to be honest with you. But I played the victim really well. Maybe some of you can understand that. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Fortunately, on May 27, 1995, at RFK Stadium with 50,000 men, the Lord drew me in. And from that point, I moved from a life of indifference to a life of purpose. And I wake up every morning excited for every new opportunity that the Lord provides. But to be sure, I need to test those opportunities to make sure they are from Him and not from the identity thief who's looking to move me away. So how does He do it? How does He deceive us? How does he try to steal our identity? Well, I think what we need to do is go back all the way to the beginning to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. Let's start in 2. Let's paint the scene here in verses 1 through 18. We see Adam is placed in the garden, a perfect place. He is placed there to work the garden. Now, work at that time was not toil. It was a hobby. It was fun. It was great. And, and, and all God said to him was, hey, dude, that thing right there, that tree right there, that tree of good and evil, that's the only thing you can't touch. He says, okay. And then, and then we see some really cool things in, starting in verse 19. You see, the first recorded decision is now 
in, in Genesis 2.19, it says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each creature, that was his name. Two things here. We now see, we know that, that uh, Adam is in the garden. And now what do we learn about God? Well, number one, we learn that he has given dominion to man over all created things. He has dominion. He's, he's the king over here. He is running things. He is naming all of the animals. And number two, what we see is that God has placed man in a very high place. We have been called to a very high place. And I've got to tell you, I think that's pretty cool. I'm real excited about that. You see, we started out great. One decision, one good decision, 100%. But it gets better. That's right. If you buy today, He then made woman. I mean, could it get any better than that? Thank you, Kirby. First decision, A plus. Oh, yeah. But then came Genesis 3. Yeah. You see, Genesis 3 provides us with a bunch of firsts. Tactics that the identity thief uses to this day to take us off our game. And we start in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, the first recorded temptation. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? First, we need to identify who is the serpent. Revelation 12 tells us that the serpent is, in fact, Satan. So now that we've set the tone, we know that it's Satan here in the garden, and he is tempting Eve. And, you know, uh, the funny thing is, we, we start thinking about temptation. What's so bad about temptation? What's so bad about temptation? Let me tell you what's so bad about temptation. Temptation usually leads us to a question. Why not? Why not? In other words... Why can't I have of that tree? It looks good. Why can't I cross that line? Why can't I go there? Why can't I be with her? These are questions that are born through temptation. Temptation is nothing more than saying, eh, what's, the, what's, 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 what's so bad about this? This first temptation was a powerful one because it led to the second recorded truth, and that's the first recorded lie. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, it says, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. You see, when God was talking to Adam in the garden, when he first placed him there, he drew a line in the sand, and he simply said this, you can have anything here, just not that. A line, a line that we today understand as a line of life and a line of death. It's, it's, it's understanding that you have a choice over here, you have a choice to go there, but there are consequences to your decision. So, as we, we look at this, we, we realize that not only is this a line between death and life, but Satan is 
constantly tempting us to cross it. And, and you know what he does? He's so smooth. He is so smooth. I mean, he puts shows on TV. And, and you know, when I was a kid, Father Knows Best was on. And you know, Father came to the table with full suit and tie. Mother had a wonderful dress on, always looked top of the line. The kids came and they were, it was a wonderful thing. And in literally two short generations, we have gone from Father Knows Best to Father Knows Nothing. Why? Because we've been indoctrinated into the world. Yes, that's right. The church has also been sucked in. Because you see, as I look and as I speak around the country at different various locations, I recognize one thing. Just because there's a steeple does not mean they're God's people. Amen. Okay? You see, what's preached... Let me, can I tell you something? I, I want to be honest with you. Oh, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm always being honest with you. <laughs> it's funny. When I coach people, I always say, don't tell me you're going to be honest with me because... I'm assuming that. As I was preparing this message, I realized something. Of all the times I've spoken, I have never, ever preached on a Sunday morning at my home church. And I realized, oh, I wonder if there's a reason for that. <laughs> but I, I just realized that. You know, you start thinking about things. And, 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 and we, we um, in, our, in our lives, we become desensitized. And, and what happens is in, 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 in the 70s and 80s, the words that were allowed on TV, some of them really pushed it. And it's H-E double toothpick, right? That was one word. I'll never forget when I heard it. Woo! And then, what are we hearing today? You see, we become desensitized. We get pulled in. And, and, and one word leads to another, which leads to another and it's okay it's just a word or the things they talk about the innuendos we get sucked in that's how Satan works that's how Satan indoctrinates us you know clothes for example what's worn in church today versus what's worn in church yesterday and it's so funny because you know, Adam and Eve, when they, when they, in Genesis chapter 2, they were naked and they were happy. Think about this. They were naked and happy, and of course they screwed it all up. And then we had to put clothes on now. But think about it. You never have to worry about what you're going to wear. You never have to worry about, you know, competing with somebody else with the, the clothes. Oh, you know, she's wearing this, so I got to go to that store and get that. They screwed it all up on us. But you know what? they were the two most perfect representations of mankind ever. Because have you ever said, oh, if Billy Graham was only back there. Sorry. Sorry. We are human, and we screw up, and that's why we need a savior. Amen? Amen? So we then go to the first recorded human sin. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Eve made a decision here to trust Satan, which means she turned her back on God, and she took the fruit. So can I ask you a question? Who sinned first? 
Who sinned first? Come on. Who sinned first? Eve. Oh, come on, say it. Say Eve. Say Eve. <laughs> well, you're wrong. You see, <laughs> in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. You see, Adam sinned first. Now, Eve took the apple or the fruit. So why is Adam getting blamed? Well, folks, as Brian mentioned, I'm the president of Legacy Minded Men. I founded it 12 years ago because I was sick and tired of looking at weak men. And I personally believe that the greatest problem in the world today is men who have abdicated their role as leaders, husbands, and fathers. That is the core issue of every major problem in this world today. You could draw it back to a man. Yes, I am one, and I accept that responsibility. But at the same time, I accept the responsibility of changing things. And I recognize that as you look and you, you think about this statement, why was Adam the first one to sin when he did not bite that apple first? Here's why. He stepped back and allowed his wife to do something he knew was wrong. Remember something. Eve was not there when God said, you can't eat of that tree. It was Adam alone at that point. And therefore, he knew what was right, and he still allowed his wife to be taken in. Guys, there is no difference today. We need to protect our wives. We need to, to be there for them. And, and when we see something is going to happen, something wrong, we need to step in because that's who God made us from the beginning of time. Now, I'm as guilty as you other guys. I, I, I screw up that as well. But be mindful of it because we see that because of our inaction, there was an action that changed the history of mankind. Then we see the first recorded curse, or should I say curses? There was actually two. The first one is Satan will eat dust and be crushed. You see, God said to the servant, because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, which is animosity, violence, anger, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. That's a fatal blow. And you will strike his heel. This is a picture of the cross, folks. This is the picture of the cross. You see, Jesus had to go to that cross because of all the sins, because, because we recognized we were naked. He had to go to the cross. And he died a temporary death so that we can live an eternal life. But Satan, Satan was given the fatal blow. However, let's be real. He still roams this world. And actually, it's his dominion right now. And his goal is to take you and me down. And how does he do it? By stealing our, our, our identity and helping us to make really, really bad decisions. The second curse is the ground. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of, of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles 
for you and you will eat of its plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. Now this one hurts me a lot. And let me illustrate. I was uh, driving in my car in New Jersey and on the radio they asked the question. They said, what's the craziest thing? It's Christian radio. It's the only type of radio there is. And um, they asked the question, what's the craziest thing you saw, you've ever seen anybody do? And this one guy calls in and he goes, oh, I, I got this friend who, when, when, when he has a party in his, and he has a big backyard, before the people leave, he gets his rake out and he starts raking up their footprints. He, he's so in love with his, his lawn. And I'm like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> and the next thing I heard was, yeah, my friend Joe. <laughs> and then I recognized the name, a former friend. And uh, so I would cut my lawn like everybody else, right? And what I would do, I'd go to the back window, get a glass of iced tea, and I'd stare at it for about oh, two or three hours, looking at the perfect lines. I love my lawn. So, so when I read this about the W word, I can't even, okay, weeds, I'll say it, all right? It just kills me to the bone. Why did you do this, Adam? I could have had a beautiful lawn with my... But that's sin. Next, we have the first sin cover-up and the introduction of shame. I'm going to move a little bit quicker here. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Hey, can I tell you something? You, you can't hide from God. <laughs> yeah, that place too. You can't hide there. You cannot hide from God. He is watching. Now, you might say, that's, that's, that, that's not a comfort to me. It should be. Because you see, in that dark place that we go to, to hide, He's still there for us. No matter what. He is there ready to save us from the very thing we're hiding from, our sin. In Genesis um, 2.25, it said, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This gets back to the part, the part I was talking about where, you know what? We didn't have to wear clothes at one time and it was great. But because our eyes were open and we had to hide away from God, he had to do something here and that was reveal to us that we're not, we were naked. And it said in the beginning, we felt no shame. But now, this is where shame entered into the world. Now, I, you could disagree with this, and that's fine. You'd be wrong. But um, <laughs> I don't believe shame is of God. I believe shame is of the devil. You know, guilt is a, is, is, can be a very good thing. Shame is a whole different level for me. And we need to recognize that shame is not of God. It's of the devil. And that's part of his way to steal your identity, is to tell you different things. So the next one is the first recorded fear, which is found in Genesis 3.10. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Again, now we're seeing fear, the fear of God. He's, he's afraid. And rightly so. You run from God. You know, you fear, you fear his rever out of reverence. 
But I'm going I'm to pass one, that one by because of time. Let's go to the next one. The first recorded death. Now, if I ask 10 people what the first recorded death in Scripture is, what do you think they're going to say? Who? Cain slew Abel, right? Abel. Now, if, we, if I ask the question, what is the first recorded human death, you would be right. But did you know that there's a death before that? Let's go and let's see what it says. It says, in, this is Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and clothed them. Skin. Where do we get skin from? Animals. When you shed skin or you rip skin apart, what comes out of that animal? Blood. What does God demand? as a sacrifice for sin in the Old Testament. The entire sacrificial system was based on blood. This is the first sacrifice, the first blood sacrifice recorded in Scripture as far as I read it, where God now will demand a blood sacrifice to cover the sins of the world, and that blood would end with the coming of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. His blood, His final blood, His final drips covered all of our sins, past, present, and future, if we put our trust in Him. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Okay, so, what happened? What happened? We recognize Adam and Eve moved from a place of trust and personal relationship to an empty place of deception and trick mirrors. It's so funny this morning. I was getting dressed, and my daughter's got this full, gigantic mirror in her room. And I went, and I, and I, I, I walked in front of it, and, and I came away, and I just smiled, and my wife was coming out, and I said, I think there's a trick mirror in her room. She said, what? I said, yeah, every time I go there, I feel thin, and I look good. And then I look in the regular mirrors, and then it's like, it's not the same. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's, it's a trick mirror. And, and, and I think that's what happens when we turn our back on the Lord. Um, we can say whatever we want, but we're looking into a trick mirror because that mirror is not reflecting the truism of God, the truism of Christ. Bruce read this earlier. It's my favorite verse. Yes, it's a famous verse. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So we went from the perfection of Genesis chapter 2 to the mess of Genesis chapter 3 one chapter that changed human history. Now think about it. All this was set in motion by a single decision. A single bad decision by who? By Adam. You see, our decisions matter. Our decisions define us. So we better take them seriously. Because you know something? I want to tell you something. 
You are not born a winner or a loser. You are born a chooser. You are not born a winner or a loser. You are born a chooser. So shouldn't we be choosing wisely? And, and so many of us don't recognize it, that we were built for greatness. You were built for greatness. Your children were built for greatness. Now, is that saying, oh, you know, I'm great in, in, in this life? No, no, that's a greatness not of you. It's of what's in you. And you see, the thing about that is, is when you have the greatness of the Holy Spirit in you, which is our deposit for the future, you can stop the flow of greatness. You can cap the power of the Holy Spirit. And I put it to you today. If there are, in fact, two billion people who claim to be Christ's followers in the world today, if you had just two billion people out of the seven billion people on the earth, do you think if the Holy Spirit was flowing through all of us that the world would look the way it does? I'm sorry, it wouldn't. The reason is simple. We have capped the power of the Holy Spirit. I see it day in and day out. I see incredible people that I'll coach or I'll consult with that are absolutely gifted people. They have so much blessing from the Lord. But they listen to the identity thief when he says, you can't do this. You're not smart. You're not educated enough. Or who are you? Let me tell you something. I'll tell you who you are. You are children of the Most High God. And when you recognize that, you recognize this truth that the identity thief does not want you to know, but because you paid the price of admission today, I'm going to give it to you. Satan does not care about the Jesus in you. He only cares when he comes out of you. And that's what we're missing in the church today. We need to let him out to let him flow not because you know uh, of anything else and in order for you to be great in christ's eyes don't misunderstand i believe you have greatness in you that flows through you. as a matter of fact we're going to get to that in a second but the, the greatness i'm talking about is the spirit of god within you that can transform everything I know May 27th, 1995, the man that was in the upper deck of RFK Stadium is not even close to the man that stands before you today. And it's not because of anything I did. It's because of what he did in and through me. It doesn't matter if he's just in you if he does not come out. Are you saved? Yes, but you are called to much greater things than just being saved. It's like the guy who goes on an island and all he does is pray. What's he doing for society? His life needs to touch somebody. So how do you make good decisions? Start with these three questions. Whose are you? Who are you? And why are you? Whose are you? Who are you? And why are you? So let's go to the first one. You have to determine whose you are. There's only three choices. You are God's. 
You are your own or you are Satan's. You are God's, you are your own, or you are Satan. Now, <clears throat> I'd like to take the last two first. <clears throat> you see, because there's a powerful verse in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, which says, <clears throat> I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So therefore, the three now become two. Because you see, when you are God, you lose. You are partnered with Satan. Remember about that line in the sand we read about in Genesis chapter 2. That is the line in the sand. Evil, good. Her offspring, his offspring. Line in the sand. Only two avenues to go to. A, 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 a fence sitter is somebody in my mind who is afraid to jump on the left side because I don't know if that's good. Or, or afraid to jump on the right side. I don't know if that's good either. So they fence sit. Fence sit is a losing proposition. You're on the other side over here, pal. We need to recognize that. See, there's a right choice and there is a wrong choice. There is not a no choice. No choice, which by the way, is what the squirrel was dealing with when he became what? Thank you so much. Flat. Don't be a flat squirrel. Make a decision. Make that decision based on solid, solid facts. So when you ask yourself whose you are, and now I'm going to take you down a chain, it's going to define who you are. You see, when you recognize whose you are, it's going to naturally point you to who you are. It's a question of identity. Who are you? Remember, the identity thief is out there and his sole role is to steal the very identity, you ready? That God built specifically for you. He built an identity for us and he's out to steal it. And we need to recognize that there is an identity crisis all over this world, which leads to chaos. What are we seeing in the world today? Chaos. Because we don't know who we are and we don't know where we've been. Because we see, revisionist history is becoming very popular today. We don't know who we are anymore. And the quickest way for an identity thief to steal who you are meant to be is by taking away where you've been. Why are you? This is a question of purpose. Why are you? I believe that there's two types of purpose in the world, in Scripture, forgive me. General purpose, which is found in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a general purpose. Every one of us who call ourselves Christ followers, we, we follow that. That's our purpose. Then the second one is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, which we know as the Great Commission. To not only share the word, but disciple people and go everywhere. So we are called to those general purposes. But then there's something that I was so excited about when I learned several years ago, that each one of us was created for a specific purpose. So if we're all created for one general purpose, which the body of Christ comes together, we work together, but then there's a specific purpose which is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says, you are God's workmanship, crafted in Christ Jesus 
to do good works which I prepared in advance for you to do. Did you get that? That means the creator of the world, who we already know has given dominion to man, has come to you and he said, I created you for greatness. But a greatness that is not of you, but a greatness that is in you. But in order for that greatness to flow, you need to take the cap off and let it flow. Remember, it's what comes in needs to go out. What comes in needs to go out. And he will do this regardless of where you've been. Understanding this change has changed everything in my life. Because you see, I have dwelt so much in the past and all the things that I've done wrong. And I promise you, they are bad. What I choose to do now, again, it's a decision, is to realize that I'm where I am right now because of every place that I've been. I've connected the dots of my life. And while it hurts to think back on some of the things, and you can't believe the stupidity, but it brought me to this place. The crime would have been is if I stayed on that path and believed the identity thief and made a decision to continue down that same road instead of taking a different road. You know, uh, <clears throat> when I was, when I was a, a, a young businessman, around 27 years old, my friends were generally 10 years older than me. And my wife once said to me, why, why are your friends 10 years older than you? And my response was, because I can't learn from my contemporaries. These men have walked the streets that I'm going to walk. They know all the holes and the cracks and, and, the, and the, the, the secret turns. I want to follow them. And, and, and I think that's good advice for us. Because you see, godly wisdom is what we're, in the Proverbs we're talked about, you know, getting, getting wise counsel. And, and I know that a lot of my life has been not getting wise counsel, but just getting Joe counsel. And Joe counsel ain't good counsel. <laughs> so I can tell you that. So now once you answer those three questions, whose are you, who are you, and why are you, I, I will give you three other pieces. Because you see, those three will give you your core beliefs. And how many of you know that most of your decision making takes place because of what your core beliefs are? Whether or not you recognize them. So here's three questions if you call yourself a follower of Christ that you should, you should consider. Now, obviously, you're going to say to me, well, Joe, I know the first two, you, you got to pray and you got to seek wise counsel. And I'm going to say, no, that's not what you do first. I'm going to say that you do last. Now, the pastors are probably sweating right now with that statement. But here we go. Before, before anything, three simple questions that will tell you whether or not it's even of God is by saying, does it honor God? Does this decision honor God? If it doesn't, it's, no, sorry, you lose. Number two, does it help others? Well, remember something. Luke chapter 10, verse 27 talks about we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. We need to consider them more than we consider ourselves. Does it help others? And then number three, will it help me grow in my walk with Christ. Now, if the answer is no to any one of those three, I would tell you, 
forget that decision. But now, if you answered yes to all of them and everything looked good, now let's bring it to the Lord and let's get some wise counsel on it. Because you don't want to waste anybody's time. If you know clearly this is not going to be blessed by the Lord, why even you know, take anybody's time on it? Let's stop it. So all this begs a question. Do you know what you believe? Do you know what you believe? Better question. Do you know why you believe it? You know, there are so many people out there in the world today who are walking around with someone else's belief system. Mom and dad, professor, friends, the reality is this. At Judgment Day, it's going to be what you believe, not what they believe. I usually use a football for this. And, and I take a, a deflated football and I try to make it look like a football. But here's the problem when you do that. When times get tough and you get squeezed, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. I want you to walk out this room today knowing, putting to the test what you believe and why you believe it. Because I believe the church is filled with people who come in every week and they sit in row seven, seat number three. <laughs> and if you're in New Jersey and you happen to be in row seven, seat number three, and that's not your seat, all I could say is one word, mafia. I, that's un- <laughs> but if you're that person who just goes and you check, and you check, I did that, Oh, I read, my, I read my verse today. I did my devotion today. I called a, a lawnmower Christian. You know what a lawnmower Christian? See, back to the lawn. See how I tied that in? That was pretty cool, right? <laughs> a lawnmower Christian is somebody who re- gets up in the morning and says, oh, I got to read Ephesians chapter 2 today. And they get their lawnmower out and they pull it and they mow the words down. Vroom. Vroom. Check. Day goes by. What did I read yesterday? You see, we're reading it just to read it. Just to say we did it. No, 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 no. The Word of God is living and vibrant. It is meant to transform you. By being a lawnmower Christian, those words are never going to jump off the page. We need to receive the Word of God through a prayer asking, Lord, open my eyes to what I don't see. How many, how many of you have ever read a line in Scripture a thousand times and you're like, what does this mean? And the thousand and first, is that right? Yeah. Thousand and first time you read it, it jumps off the page at you. That is so cool. Because it's a living word and God is going to deposit it in you exactly when you need it. But your role is to read it. Read it with intention. Read it so that you're looking for transformation. So this happens to be the mother of all questions. What do you believe and why? Now, I would like to put this to you. There's a suffix in the English language, side, C-I-D-E. Side means to kill. So suicide is killing yourself. Homicide is killing somebody else. Pesticide is killing pests, right? But I want you to think about this because this is a powerful little thing. You see... To decide requires a death, a dying to a thousand options 
so that you could choose just one. So when you decide who you are, you put to death who you are not. When you decide who you are in Christ, you put to death who you are not. Now, once discovered, Satan, he is not going to be a happy camper. He is going to want to come after you. And what can you do to protect yourself from his lies for your truth? And I'll close with this. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 and 21, we see the call of Elisha to replace Elijah. And, and, and the Bible is, is, is clear that Elisha came, Elijah came and put the cloak around Elisha, which signified the passing of the torch. He's the man. What did Elisha do that every one of us can learn from? Well, the answer is in, uh, in verse, um, let's see, verse 21. So Elisha left him, Elijah, and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. What happened here? You see, Elisha called Elijah. In order for Elijah to be all he can be, in, 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 in God. He needed to put an end to where he could go back and knew that he's going forward. So he crushed everything that would, he would have to return to or he could return to so that he had no place to go back to. He's going that way. What is it that you need? I hope it's not oxen because I really don't like, we were told, I don't want to kill anything but I do want to kill that which is stopping you from being all you can be in Christ. You see, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. We need to choose wisely, my friends. Our decisions need to reflect whose we are, who we are, and why we are. And make no mistake, each one of us is who we are today because of decisions we've made. Each one of our, those decisions have led us to this place at this time. Now, the good news is you might be as bad a decision maker as I am. But today, today can be a turning point. Today, you could start saying, no, I'm not going to continue doing this because we know what the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results no today i'm going to stop i'm going to seek the lord's counsel i'm going to seek wise counsel i'm going to recognize that i am his i'm going to recognize that i was built for an identity and i recognize i was built for a purpose and i'm going to put that into action because when you don't when you don't take your decisions seriously you're leaving a lot on the table. You know, whenever you pass a cemetery, you ever think about this? How many books are buried there? How many serums that were never created are buried there? How many visions were never launched because people took them to the grave because the identity thief told them they couldn't do it? Well, can I tell you one thing? 
I'm an identity restorer. I'm a dash enhancer. You know what a dash enhancer is? Somebody who you look on a, on a, on a what do you call the thing in the cemetery? Headstones. That's what we're called. And, and you've got the birth date and you've got the death date. And then there's a dash. The birth date matters not. The death date matters not. It's the dash that matters. We all can be dash enhancers. Living our lives to glorify God, blessing others, and allowing us to be all we can be in Christ. So unless we want to look like this, which I truly don't believe anybody here wants to, you were built for greatness. But you were also given free will. And what you do with that free will and the decisions you make with it will define not only the life you lead, but the family you have, generations to come. And today, in this room, one of you, two of you, ten of you, might be people who are going to change the course of this world and take it back and give it back to who it belongs to. The Father, the Creator, the Sustainer, the Redeemer, my Savior. Father, thank you, thank you. Lord God, I just pray right now that each person today will take a few minutes and just really, really think about whose they are, who they are, and why they are. And Father, I pray that at the end of that, that they would come to the realization that it's you, Lord, who sits on the throne and that you, you built them to be somebody and you built them to live out a purpose of greatness. I pray, Lord, that if there was even a nugget that could be stuck with each individual person here, that you would sow it into their soul right now. For it's in your powerful and majestic name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to close in a song, so I invite you to stand.